Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Sandy B. was recorded on December 9th, 2021. So I'm going to open um, with just what it was like. And um, I was born in New York City. Uh, my parents, um, my mother had narcissistic personality disorder. My father... Uh, is also a narcissist and a workaholic and an alcoholic. He was the alcoholic. Uh, my mom also had OCD, which made her very like militaristic, very perfect. Everything had to be perfect. And um, there, she had three daughters basically because that's what people did then. They had children. Uh, she didn't have a career. And what was she going to do? And um, so she had children. And um, I think that she had no idea, I know that she had no idea what it entailed to be a parent. And it really wasn't her nature. She didn't like it, especially being OCD because children made a mess. And it was her house and her things and her life that we were just kind of around, basically. So a lot of abandonment because she just didn't enjoy being a mother. Um, my parents did love each other though. They did a lot, um, because of my dad's alcoholism. And also my dad, um, we have these things called laundry lists, uh, the laundry list traits in ACA. And, um, one of the traits, which I think it's number, it's number eight. It's one of the reasons why I decided to, uh, why I said yes to speaking tonight, because it's, we're addicted to excitement and fear and um, living on the edge. And, and I'm not really a public speaker. It's not something that I really enjoy. So this is kind of, um, there is some excitement and fear in me doing a lot of the things that I do. Um, but my father was very, and that, that was something that I got from my father. He was really addicted to excitement. Um, he, he was very risky in things that he did. Um, they traveled, they went to Vegas, they did anything to kind of be uh, teenagers, like uh, perpetual teenagers is what they were. And my mom um, was very narcissistic with the, you like to really get dressed up and go out and just do anything pretty much outside the home. Um, so we definitely had the um, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel going on in the house. Um, a few things happened when I was growing up. One was um, my older sister was found. Um, she had OD'd in the, in the Atlantic Ocean with a bag of pills. And uh, she was only 16 years old. She was trying to commit suicide. And um, my parents paid a judge. They paid, uh, they, they made sure it, was stay, it stayed out of a local newspaper that this had happened. And I do remember my mom telling me, my sister was 16, so I was 13 at that time. She said, don't tell anybody about this. Do not tell anybody. She was so, um, well, she was really invested in everybody thinking that we were perfect, that they were perfect. That was really important. 
Um, the other thing that happened that's pretty, uh, very devastating was my younger sister was actually killed in a, um, in a automobile accident. And, um, what happened there was, it was a different kind of don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie, um, Ordinary People with Mary Tyler Moore, but her son commits suicide. And there's, there's a scene where she's sitting at the dinner table, just like, like this, and they didn't say a word. And that's exactly how my mother handled my sister's death. And we were never allowed to say her name again. We weren't allowed to talk about her. Um, it was like it never happened. It was one, again, it had to be this idea of perfection in the home. Um, she just couldn't, um, she just couldn't feel, or she couldn't allow, and she couldn't allow me to feel or say anything about, I mean, I never was allowed to share about the fact that my sister died, which is really um, just, it's horrible. You know, ACA has also um, helped me to literally um, dredge up all these memories, a lot of memories that I stuffed, a lot of feelings that I, that I had just stuffed because I didn't know what to do. And, well, I kind of did know what to do because what I did was I started doing drugs. And... Um, I think I was self-medicating. Um, I think I was depressed. Um, a few other things had happened in my childhood that I've been remembering that, that created some of this. And I have um, what's known as um, CPTSD, which is pretty common in adult children. And what it is is when something happens, something traumatic happens, it's PTSD but it's complex PTSD because it happened, things happen over and over. And that's the inner child part. So when I was eight years old, and this happened a few times, but at eight years old, my mother, if she was getting annoyed, she would say that she was going to call the truant officer on us and he was going to take us to jail. He was going to take me to jail. And the thing about it was I believed my mother. Which, when she said something to me, I believed her. So I believe that I must have just completely shut down, and that was a time of CPTSD. And that's one of the little girls, when we talk about our inner ch children, that's one of my inner, inner, ch inner, uh, an, an inner child within me that I think I just walked back to my room and I was waiting for someone to come and take me to jail. And... um I don't remember her ever telling me that it wasn't going to happen. I don't remember anything. I think I, I was in shock. And I blacked out and I sat and I sucked my thumb till I was 14. I bit my nails and I just sat there like rocking, waiting for someone to take me to jail. Um, and that is a, um, a traumatic uh, event that happened a few times, actually. Um, the other thing was um, I like to get dressed up and... Um, I used her mascara once, and she told me that I was going to go blind. So I remember going back to my room and thinking that I was going to go blind. She never told me that I wasn't going to go blind. It just, I just didn't go blind. So I woke up the next day, you know, I went to sleep that night, and I, went, and I, and, and, and I stuffed it. And, and again, it's that, that child that's just paralyzed, basically, tra tra traumatized. Um, she pretty much did the, the basics, uh, for us. Um, I remember coming home and she'd just be like, 
in the backyard, you know, sunning herself and um, never helped with homework. And I went to school when I was really young. I started school at, at um, five, I think I was like four or I had, yeah, because and I, I'm born in September and other kids were born, were starting school with me that were born in January had been born in January, so they were going to turn that age. Anyway, I was very young. I had ADD, and I was lost in school. They never helped me with homework, and the way that they helped me, the way that they dealt with it was when I failed in school, they called me stupid, disgusting, and they would hit me. My father weighed like 200 pounds, and he would hit me. And so every another CPTSD moment, you know, that every three months that I would come and get my report card, I knew that I was gonna get hit. And um, never helped me, with, still never helped me, and, and um, called me a lot of, uh, you know, my parents, my mother was really a bully, is what she was. And so, um, yeah, um, let's see. She um, screamed a lot. She yelled a lot, a lot of name calling. What's wrong with you? There's something the matter with you. What's the matter with you? You're so disgusting. You should be ashamed of yourself. So when I remember seeing the literature, the big red book and reading about shame, I can remember it was like it was like this visceral reaction, like shame. Oh, yeah, like you should be ashamed of yourself because I had forgotten a lot of the stuff. I mean, I really had gotten into drugs and um, I left my house and I just you know, I still thought I had a perfect childhood and I still thought they were perfect because that's what they told me. You know, it's just so interesting how you want to believe your parents. I wanted to believe them. I didn't want, I didn't, and, and I, and I wanted them to love me. I was still um, relentless about trying to get their approval as, as much as I could. I, I never could, uh, honestly. Um, there was a lot of physical abuse with her too, belts and things like that. Um, let's see. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I was never, I was not comfortable in school and I was not comfortable at home. And the only time that I was comfortable was when during the summer. Summer vacation was great because I could get out of the house. All my friends were, you know, playing in the streets and um, I didn't have to go home and I didn't have to go to school. And um, I, I know that it was advertised that I was going to show some art. Um, actually, some of the art that I was going to show was kind of triggering. So we made a, I made a decision with another fellow traveler that I, I actually wasn't going to show that. But instead... I'm going to read, um, I've written some poetry about my, um, my childhood, and so that's the art that I'm going to share. And this was about those summers, um, and this one's called Through the Fence. And um, we used to, I don't know if you did, but we used to cut through our neighbor's fence to get to uh, the other, to get through, get, it was a shortcut to get to a friend's house, cutting through the fence. Through the Fence. We lived on the block, down the block, up the block, and around the block. A different time, it always is. A different place, a different way to find my space. Those hopscotch lines fade, fade in a day. The summer fun washes them away. Pastel colors on cement, drawn by kids with such intent. 
to hop and play and jump all day and wriggle and giggle with such innocence. Under a fence, over a fence, the shortcut through the fence was my defense. Defense against that witch at home, that larger than life leather switch at home, that fucking bitch at home who danced with her best friend, the vacuum, who lived in a vacuum as she sucked the life from us, but not a speck of dust, not a speck of trust. So I must hop the fence to know I'm loved. Sandy's here. Can you play for a game? They called my name. Can you jump and bop and hop today? I take a breath because now I can. Over the fence, I can breathe again. And that was really how I felt. You know, I, I couldn't really breathe in my home. I hardly can breathe now. <sighs> take a drink of water. One of the gifts of, of doing service in, in the way, in finding the speakers um, is um, one of the speakers was um, a wonderful writer who um, read some poetry and inspired me. And she has a writing group that I actually joined. And it's an ACA writing group. I had never written poetry before and I love it. And um, so I, I, I attend uh, monthly that meeting and um, it's such a it's such a it's such a wonderful way to to express myself so um, anyway so um, what happened um, I kind of realized that something something was wrong um, because I had you know I, I, I bit my nails I sucked my thumb till I was 14 I was sad um, I was uh, sexualized and I acted out a lot to get attention. Um, I was told I was too dumb to go to college. And um, I smoked to basically change my perception, but I still didn't know that anything, I still thought, like I hear so many people say, there was something wrong with me. I always thought there was just something wrong with me um, because I still believed I had that perfect childhood, you know? Um, I, I was always um, still trying to, I was taking the temperature in the room when my parents would be around because I moved out when I was 17, but I stayed in contact with them. Um, I never felt comfortable, but I was trying to get their approval. Um, so it was like a lot of, outside of myself, trying to get other people's approval. And that in trying to get my parents' approval, that kind of translated into a lot of narcissistic relationships with girlfriends, boyfriends, you know, just attracted to people that I have to um, think about what they're feeling for some reason, super codependent. But, um, you know, and, and I'm, I have to admit that I, I still do worry about what other people think about me, you know, and I still have to really monitor my thoughts about uh, and my negative self-talk. This is like slow work for me. You know, it, I, I, it's almost like I have to be vigilant almost every, every day about what I'm saying to myself. Um, I did end up um, meeting a, a, girl, a friend who became my best girlfriend. Um, she was an adult child as well. Her parents actually had been in the Holocaust. And um, it, drugs were a big part of our, our friendship. But she was kind of like a mother figure to me. I found a mother in her because she loved me. 
She, um, we traveled the world um, twice together. It, it, we were just best friends, you know, just best girlfriends. And um, then I met my husband who was a very much a father figure another narcissist a lot not like my parents but he was a narcissist but he loved me and he actually was one of the first people who ever told me that I was smart he uh, and that you know I loved him for that but um he was pretty narcissistic and he was pretty controlling and you know me doing and I was still in the drugs and so and he was not um but <clears throat> I think that you know it kept me quiet it kept me down it self-medicated me from feeling all the feelings, you know, that I, that I, um, and from fighting back, really, it just kind of made me numb, which is what I wanted to be. I wanted to be numb, you know. Um, and that girlfriend through marriages um, and other relationships, we, we had stayed together, um, but our relationship really was centered around drugs. We and when I got clean, our, our relationship really changed. Um, let's see. Get some notes here. Um, so um, I did get married to this man. And um, I had a daughter, my first daughter. And I can remember, I don't know, I think it was like, maybe she was one or two years old. And at that point, I... I, I started to think like, what was my mother doing? You know, what, what, what was she doing? Like, I had so much empathy and compassion for my daughter and, and love. And I just wanted to be with her. And I wanted to, I mean, I just, I, I think I really fell in love for the first time when I had my daughter, because it was like somebody, it was someone for me to love who loved me unconditionally. And um, it started to make me question my mother and of course she was a horrible grandmother she just didn't care about the grandchildren at all and um uh it, it just I, I still couldn't speak up though i couldn't say anything to them um i knew that they would completely abandon like they would just say fine you know if you if you have don't criticize us don't criticize us if you have anything to say you know you're out of here and so I was afraid of them. I was afraid of them. They were, they were authority. The other laundry list trait is that we're afraid of authority figures. And my parents were authority figures. And I was afraid of them. And, and I make a lot of people authority figures. That's something that I have done in my life. Um, but my parents really were. And I really um, wasn't ready. And, you know, it's interesting because I had found... Uh, my marriage started to get in trouble and so and so the drugs were a problem and I went to a therapist and she told me to she was the first one who told me to go to NA and I went to NA and um and AA and uh and CODA been to OA I mean I've been to all the programs worked all, all the programs because I was always looking for something that was going to make me what was going to make me better you know, because I, it was like whack-a-mole, you know, if I stopped doing drugs, then I would drink, and then if I stopped drinking, then I was shopping, and I was eating, you know, all of it, and it's like uh, classic um, ACA, I feel, um, 
my mother even like mocked my parenting. Like she would make fun of, she would kind of bully me and say, "Oh, that your your children are your whole life." You know, that's all. Like you don't go to all the the glamorous parties like I do. You know, it's just like so. She was such a child, you know, and and she had a very loving mother. So and a loving father. So I I'm not sure. I just think it's the narcissism with her. Um, but you know, it didn't stop me. You know, I just it it just started the questioning about what what who she was and, and just, um, she kind of made, started to make me sick, really. I moved far away from my, from my family at that point. And, um, I was going to say something about that. Oh yeah. And, and my next poem actually, um, what happened was, um, you know, I started to, when I started to really question who she was and what she was, I, I remember looking for Mother's Day cards. And it was like I'd start reading these cards and just go, huh? You know? So this is the next poem. Loss, abandonment, judgment, class. Oh, okay, now I understand. The opposite world where I did land for all those years, for all the tears and the fears. It's Mother's Day, I'll buy a card. Wow, this is hard. When I read them, they don't fit. Not one bit. Let's read. You're the most wonderful one. No, not this one. I'm done. I'm so blessed. You're the best. Uh, okay, I need a rest. Put down this card. This is just way too hard. With all you do, but you don't do. Why is it so hard to find a card? Okay. Phew, it's blank. I can do this. I'll leave it blank. The picture is nice. Great for the price of being honest. Hopes and dreams to get those cards from children I loved so hard not to be tortured buying a Mother's Day card. And, and I think the Mother's Day card thing was just, you know, I'd read these cards and just, you know, it was my first, it was, I couldn't buy the card. I couldn't give her a card anymore. So, um, you know, what it's like now. Let's see, how am I doing on time? You have about 25 minutes, Sandy. So Uh-oh, okay. Well, let's see how this goes. Okay, so what it's like now. Um, today, you know, I feel that um, ACA is a lifeline for me, especially such a blessing during this horrible pandemic. What a what a turnaround that this fellowship has grown, that I can go to meetings with people in London and India, and I go to a meeting in Shang in Shanghai and I mean in, in um Taiwan. Um and in New York and everywhere else. And and all day I can go to meetings. And I go to a lot of meetings. I really do because um you know I'm i I'm still I'm still figuring this out, you know, I still have a lot of um, uh, negative self-talk um, that I have, to, I mean, I wouldn't say I have a lot, I, it, it came very naturally to me, and it was really shocking to hear myself talk to myself so, in such a mean way, I sounded just like my mother, you know, I was, I became her. You know, and I remember going to the meeting, at my first meeting, and they said, we become our parents, and I was like, oh my God, what? You know, and then I would hear this critical voice, 
you know, and, and this judgment of myself and, you know, what's wrong with you? What's the same thing? And so I had to start really monitoring my thoughts. And so the meetings really helped me to remember. I do all these workshops. Um, it's wonderful. You know, it's added so much to my life. You know, I, I went to NA. I went to all those other programs. But I was still, I was still... I still didn't know what was, I still thought something was really wrong with me, you know, wrong with me, um, just who I was. And I, I didn't realize what, maybe I didn't realize why, because I think there is something wrong with me on some level that something happened to me in my childhood. You know, I wasn't allowed to develop normally. I wasn't allowed to grow up. I wasn't allowed to have feelings. I wasn't allowed to mourn my own sister's death. I wasn't allowed to say I'm sad or I, I'm mad or anything, like nothing. And, and so, you know, that created a lot of uh, problems for me that I have to deal with now. You know, I mean, all the meetings, you know, therapy, meditation, it's like a full-time job, like taking care of my mental health, I feel. But, you know... I have no choice, I, I feel, and, and I'm very blessed in many ways that I even can do it, that, I, that I'm able to have the time to do that now and to, um, to find this wonderful community and to figure out, you know, how, um, how fragile people are and how fragile children are you know, and how careful we have to be with each other in, in this, in this world, you know, I, I get, a, and, and I'm, the other thing about me is I'm a highly sensitive person, I just am, you know, and um, I don't know if that's because of my childhood, or it's just who I am, but, so I feel a lot of, um, you know, the stuff that's going on in the world can really affect me if I watch the news too much, and on some level, I feel like, um, I am sort of addicted to being sad, you know, to this like moody, sad thing that um, doesn't serve me really. And so I'm giving a hard thought to that, you know, and, and trying to turn the news off, not listen, you know, do something else. So I, I've been active. I, I like to, um, I really like to dance and I, I started like, um, I, I do this dance party on Friday night, and now I do it in England, actually, um, twice, a couple times a week. There's this disco dance thing, and I DJ for that. And, and it really helps me because I, um, I have to be there. And if I'm dancing for 40 minutes, I feel a lot better than sitting there, you know, wondering, what am I, now what, you know? all the stuff and I play a couple sports too now and um, I go walking I go to the park I I make a conscious effort to not um, be stuck in the muck and the mire that I can I can do you know and and also you know being really angry at my parents you know realizing all this stuff that happened you know um, has made me you know I, I really I really was I really am Still, you know, I try not to ruminate about it, but I, I am because it's been a, a huge awakening um, for me over the years. But through ACA, I mean, being able to relate to almost every page of that incredible literature that we have. I mean, 
sometimes a paragraph is just too much, you know, but I, but I do it. And I actually work with a couple girls now, women actually. Um, and so, you know, we're, I'm taking them through the steps and we're kind of doing it together um, because it, it feels, always feels more like a fellow traveler. And I love that about ACA that, you know, because it's kind of like in all the programs, it's like sort of like the blind leading the blind, really. You know, I mean, even if you have like lots of sobriety, it doesn't mean that I, I found that in AA, you know, and in some of the other programs that we all are just kind of, you know, trying to um, live a better life. And the steps are, are wonderful. And um, anyway, uh, so let's see. You know, I found, you know, some of the missing parts of, the, of my story um, because it was a lot of that thing about, you know, what's, what's, wrong, what's wrong with you, you know, and nothing is wrong with me um, that I can't work out. You know, if I take it a day at a time, that's what I have. That's another really important thing. You know, sometimes I do have really bad days, but I know I have to remember and it feels like it's going to last forever, you know, and, and I have a very hard time reaching out um, on the phone. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to work that one out, too, um, to, to 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 talk to more people, to have more support. Um it's just hard for me, and I'm and I I'm not really sure sure why that is, but the more that I talk about it, um, I I don't even really sh always share in meetings that much to tell you the truth, so um, I'm gonna read another poem, and this one, um, you know, it's part of this is part of the solution for me still figuring out what happened, you know, still figuring out what happened, and. Um, a lot of times my family would say, you know, um, what's, wrong with, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with them? And so this poem is called, it's kind of heavy, so sorry, triggers anyone, but um, it's called What's Wrong With Us? What's wrong with her, they would say that day and countless others. The her was married to my mother's brother. What's wrong with her? We lived real close. He'd barge in unannounced only to see her spouse, also known as my uncle. What's wrong with her? Again, he said. She offers me nothing when I drop in. No coffee, no cake. Well, you'd think she'd bake. But now I know what's wrong with her. That conveniently forgotten truth. Who was the sleuth? Or was it the vermouth? Rocks. That blocks his memory, that vermouth on rocks that blocks his memory. He drank and pulled this unforgivable prank. He lured her to the window below and called her name. He had something to show. He got her there and he spit on her. He really did, with no remorse, of course. He spit on her. What's wrong with him? Until that day, I didn't know this part. It breaks my heart for all of us. The twisted prankster that I called dad. What's wrong with him? I'm ashamed and sad. And that was basically, um, you know, I had an aunt that they just talked about and gossiped about all the time. And only like four years ago, four years ago, 
I found out the story from her daughter. And my mother was still alive, and I asked my mother, I said, did he do that? Did he really do that to her? And she said, oh, yeah, it was just something stupid. Which, so she did admit he did do it, but that's not stupid. I mean, that's like, stupid is like leaving your keys home or, you know, in a car or something. That was just, um, it really devastated me, you know, um, and, uh, you know, to know, to, f to find out the truth, you know, of so many things that I believed as a child, you know. Um, so, uh, let's see. I still do struggle with this idea of perfection no matter what I do. You know, I catch myself, like I said. I, I work, what I work on being is um, the protective parent. You know, I'm, I'm doing, um, I work with a wonderful therapist, um, an art therapist, actually. And... Um, She's taught me about the protective parent and the nurturing parent and the critical parent. And I need to have that protective parent, you know, with me, even with these memories, you know, that I have, that I don't have to hold on to them. Like, okay, I wrote about it. I've shared about it. Um, and um, I just wrote that one, actually, like l the last session that we were at. And, um, and you know, it was painful, but... Um, it's it's the truth and it, and it and it does help me to put some of the the puzzle together um it's it's hard sad work at times kind of like a roller coaster um and you know again some of the things that i do are still about you know some, the traits that um the excitement uh, i i'm working on i'm working on the traits i've done the trait book a few times but um trying to get to the other side you know, the other side of, of judging myself, myself harshly. Um, I don't, I really don't judge myself harshly most of the time, you know, and when I do, I catch myself, like I said. Um, I don't get guilt feelings anymore for standing up for myself. I do stand up for myself and, and it's wonderful, you know, to, to be able to do that because I don't feel like I'm, I don't really feel like I'm alone. I feel like I have these little girls inside me that I have to take care of. They're like counting on me. And, you know, so when I say some of those those negative things, it's kind of like I'm hurting them. And, you know, and it's almost like they're, they're separate from me. You know, um, they were kind of so paralyzed inside of me. It took me a while. And so now I have to really um, that they, they, it's my healing is to go through all this stuff and to, you know, get it out and to just you know have faith in god and in the program that i'm that i am moving forward and i do see some progress so um my mother died um in november um and and last november it was a year ago and um something happened um super interesting and this is my last um bit here um I, I, I found a bird's nest in my backyard um, when she was, uh, right when, around when she had died. And, and there was a little blue broken egg in there. And I, I felt really, I felt so much empathy for the baby. I felt like it must have, you know, fallen out of the tree and the, the baby died, you know. And, um, and then my mother actually did die um, a couple weeks later. Um, after I had found that and 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 I wrote this poem about that 
The ratted bird's nest on the ground, hand-knit by a mother's love. A broken egg inside, it's blue, so am I. The death of promise to its flock, sad grief. I wonder, did bird mommy know her baby's fate? Does she know baby died? Is she soaring with the others in acceptance of what is? Mommy, are you there? Did you know that I, or when I, fell from your nest? I was tangled in the leaves. I held my breath. I smoked and toked and drank so numb. I believed you when you called me dumb. That immaculate nest was a messy mess. Shells smashed with shame and blame. A daily coup upon our souls. Do not break a bowl, do you hear me? The youngest did indeed die. Shh, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. That was the deal. In November you passed, at last. I have no tears, less fears. Mommy, don't blame that I have no shame. From somewhere I hear you say, Oh, Sandy, how uncouth to tell the truth. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. Oh my gosh, it's going to take me a minute to recover from that last poem. It was it was beautiful. It's beautiful. Really?